I thought it was normal and appropriate that, that we should be overwhelmed, that we should have feel constant stress. I had built some businesses, but they were a house of cards. I lost everything and my daughter felt compelled to save us with her piggy bank. I, I had a wake up call. When the business is struggling, we'll subsidize personal finances without even realizing. We'll skip payroll for ourselves. No, 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 you're sacrificing yourself personally to support the business. But the reverse is true too. I've seen businesses flourish and there's no personal financial control. And then the business starts collapsing and starts overfunding it. It's human nature when we do something not fully, we do it partially. Then they point at the system and say, the system doesn't work. I have now come to realize that is a defense mechanism. When we don't get the results we want, if I say I'm the problem, that means I got to fix it. Maybe it's the, another year of struggle. Maybe it's someone foreclosing on your property or, or, or canceling your lease or employees walking out because you can't pay payroll. Sometimes you need to go to an extreme, have that cardiac arrest, and then we can resuscitate you with the proper system. The number one job of an entrepreneur, your job, Alexis, my job, is to be a creator of jobs. You're, you're empowering your employees. You're giving them an opportunity to grow into positions that you prior were occupying and they couldn't move into. So it's an opportunity for their growth. I don't care if you have anything documented or not. You do have every system for your company. It's just in your mind, right? We're, we're just doing it here. So we need to extract systems as opposed to create systems. The world needs more healthy, profitable businesses. There's no question about it. So I just implore that it starts with the person listening. It starts with you. Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Now I'm joined today by a very special guest and hero of mine, Mike McCallowitz. Now if you haven't heard of Mike, I am shocked. Simon Sinek himself suggests that Mike would be the top contender for the patron saint of entrepreneurs. But in case you haven't, I'll tell you that uh, by his 35th birthday, Mike had founded and sold two multi-million dollar companies. And at that point, he was then confident that he had the formula to success. So he became a small business angel investor and proceeded to lose his entire fortune. Now, this led to an emotional breakdown that started at his dinner table when Mike shared what the situation was with his family while in floods of tears. And his nine-year-old daughter immediately went and grabbed her piggy bank, offering her savings to bail him out. Mike lost his home, his cars. He had to stop his daughter's horse riding lessons. He was wiped out and had to start again from scratch. Over the next 15 years, Mike devoted his career to the research and delivery of innovative, impactful entrepreneurial strategies to help others avoid what he'd gone through. Today, Mike leads two new multi-million dollar ventures as he tests his latest business research for his nine best-selling books, including The Pumpkin Plan, Fix This Next, Profit First, Get Different, and Clockwork. Mike's transformed the way that hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs, including myself, view and build their businesses, emphasizing reliable cash flow and systematic efficiency. But here's a twist. Even the best strategies encounter resistance. So today we're delving into why these powerful concepts sometimes fail to take root and explore the hurdles that entrepreneurs face when trying to implement these systems and the secrets of those who succeed. 
Mike is the perfect guide for this exploration. So let's dive in and unravel the mystery of what really stops entrepreneurs from achieving clockwork success in their businesses. Mike, in your frankly amazing books, you've provided systems to reduce the stresses that many business owners face, right? Profit first helps them take the stress out of cash flow. Clockwork makes it yeah. possible for them to take the to take time out of their business. The pumpkin plan gets them out of the feast and famine cycle, particularly for people that perhaps haven't come across you, which is crazy to me, by the way. <laughs> like what's what's your story? What sparked your passion for helping business owners in this way? Well, I think, Alexis, I, I was buried in that stress. I thought it was normal and appropriate that, that we should be overwhelmed, that we should have feel constant stress. And it's when it all came crumbling down for me. I, I, I had built some businesses, but they were a house of cards. I didn't even realize it. And they were not fiscally sound. They were so dependent on me working harder and longer that when that was no longer sustainable. And you know the moment I, I lost everything and my daughter felt compelled to save us with her piggy bank. I had a wake up call and it wasn't in that, wasn't that second. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to figure this out. I, I went through depression and struggled, but back in reflection, I was like, Oh, we don't need to have this extraordinary work ethic. I shouldn't say that we shouldn't need to be workaholics. Mm. It's probably a better choice of words. We, we don't need to live check by check. We can have all this stuff. And in fact, we have a greater impact if we don't have the stress components. So it's really the last 15 years that I've been investigating what makes entrepreneurship easier, simpler, more successful, less stressful. And, and honestly, it's not me espousing ideas. I'm curating ideas, trying them for myself. And if they work, then I, I share what works. Love that. When I've seen you share those stories of those pivotal moments, I think it, it hits quite deeply. I think partly because it's, those are emotional stories and you're an excellent storyteller, but also because I think we've all had versions of that right we've all had those moments where a child of ours has made a comment about the fact that we're not available or whatever and it just yeah. kind of hits you it's that little gut punch it's like ah oh, yeah no i i make a yeah. mistake as a result the systems you've curated that you've tested and then shared with the world have had an enormous impact on people what are perhaps some of your favorite examples of the impact that you've seen when entrepreneurs implement your recommended systems Oh, you know, I get an email every 30 minutes or so on average from someone somewhere in the world who has used one of the systems. And occasionally they share a deep story. Someone in Canberra, Australia emailed me and they, they were raising horses for competition for races or something like that. It was a husband wife team. And what they shared was they were living check by check and their marriage was compromised. They, they felt that it's best to go separate ways. There was constant fighting. They discovered profit first. And what I liked about the story is they were skeptical of it, but they were also desperate. And they said, well, we're going to try this, but this is a, it sounds stupid and it sounds too good to or be true, too easy. They did it. They started seeing this transformation. The miracle of the story is they said, we have the strongest marriage we've ever had. But also, while that, that's exciting, it's not a miracle in regards to, it ties into Maslow's hierarchy. If we don't have security in our life, financially, if we don't have a source of food and water, it puts stress on everything else above it. And relationships sits on top of a foundation of security. So I'm not surprised that they were able to repair their marriage once they had that foundation taken care of. But that is one of my favorite stories. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I think, and, and I completely see how both in my own experience, but also with our clients, where those relationships break down when you've got the underlying problems in the business, which feels... Yeah 
feels like it shouldn't be the case, right? Or, or it feels like the conventional wisdom out there might be, oh, compartmentalize. Like, try, just try and keep those things separate. Your work is your work. You know, your, your yeah, family yeah, yeah, yeah. is family. And it just doesn't play out that that way when it comes to the reality. And I know that with some of the work that you've done, say, for example, with Profit First, you've had a huge impact on people's ability to to sort out their financial situations. Are, are there some, have you got any examples of where you've seen that particularly stark impact? There's a correlation between our business health and our personal health, fiscally, financially. And if the business is struggling, we're gonna to try to serve it through our personal finances and it's gonna compromise us there. But the reverse is true too. I've seen businesses flourish and there's no personal financial control. And then the business starts collapsing and starts overfunding it. So there's a company out in Alaska and uh, I just spoke with the owner and she's amazing. She's doing profit first. The business is very profitable and healthy, but her husband's business is struggling and he became um, dependent upon her business to fuel his. So it's artificially sustaining that business. So I said, this is, this is what we gotta do. You, you can't fund a business. If that business can't sustain on its own, it's not a healthy business. And she had the hard conversation and they agreed, you're right. Your business can stand on its own and, and it needs to, it can't be a crutch for something else. So it, it funneled through their personal finances. And that's a common game we play. When the business is struggling, we'll subsidize their personal finances without even realizing. We'll skip payroll for ourselves. And, and then we feel like, oh, well, the business is taking care of itself. No, no, no. You're sacrificing yourself personally to support the business. So that can't be. The business has to stand on its own. And if it can't, that means there's a problem in the business that we need to fix. I think that that's a, that's a really powerful lens, that, that ability to essentially make those underlying problems in the business much clearer and almost force yourself not to just gloss over it. And I think something in, in your book, Fix This Next, for example, you talk about like having that clarity over getting clear on what the what the next issue is to, to deal with. One of the things that right. also strikes me, though, is that whilst your systems have helped many, many people, not everyone achieves the intended results, right? Where do people tend to get stuck? Yeah, so one of the common things is to believe that we can avoid the setup at a bank. So Profit First is set up at a bank because it's a behavioral intercept. Almost all entrepreneurs, not everyone, but most run their business out of their bank account. They log in, they see their balances, and based upon the funds there, they'll make decisions. They're not reading the accounting statements regularly. They're not doing the KPIs and metrics. We talk about, we put a good game to it, but we don't actually do it. One space falls off as people say, well, I'll do profit first in my accounting system or I'll do profit first in a spreadsheet, which avoids the behavioral intercept. And they then go to the bank account and they see one account with all this money in it. And they say, this is how much money I have, which is not. It has to be carved up, but that's what they see. And they make decisions. Another mistake is people say, I'm going to go all in really fast. And they actually burden the company. So they've never been profitable before. Now they're like, I'm going to take 50% profit. We're going to make this thing profitable. It's like, if you've never run a marathon and then today you just go out and run a marathon, you're likely going to injure and hurt yourself severely. You got to build to this. So those are the two most common mistakes I see. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's like not <clears throat> not following it all the way or going too quickly on it. It's an interesting right, balance, right. right? It's because it means that you have to be somewhere in between. When you see people not taking the actions that they need to take and not putting in the the structures, and you use the example from Profit First of of whether or not you create separate bank accounts for the different yeah. uh, pots of money for the provisions to kind of protect yourself from yourself. Do you find that frustrating? Like when you see those examples where someone's not done that, like, because you must feel like I told you what to do. I put it down so yeah. clearly. Like, how does that feel? Yeah. 
I, I, it used to be frustration. Now I feel disappointment because it's human nature when we do something not fully, we do partially. So someone's like, oh, I tried product first and it failed. And I asked them what they did. They said, well, I, I set this up in some spreadsheets and it's not working. Then they point at the system and say, the system doesn't work. I have now come to realize that is a defense mechanism. When we don't get the results we want, if I say I'm the problem, that means I got to fix it. So a simple solution is to say, you're the problem, it's the problem, and I'm going to revert back to where I was. So I'm, I'm no longer frustrated. I just get disappointed. I'm like, oh, that's too bad because now you're going to revert back to what's already not working. So profit first has to be set up the bank. There's certain principles, certain accounts that must be set up. And it is the, the framework that we need to adhere to. When, when someone doesn't, it's actually very hard to convince them otherwise. I did my spreadsheet. I'm like, no, no, you got to do this. Your bank. No, no, I do it in my spreadsheet. I know how I work and behave. This is optimal for me. And it didn't work. No. So it, it really is more disappointment than frustration. Um, but sometimes those people come around. Sometimes you need the cardiac event, like the heart attack, that maybe it's the, another year of struggle. Maybe it's someone foreclosing on your property or, or, or canceling your lease or employees walking out because you can't pay payroll. Sometimes you need to go to an extreme, have that cardiac arrest, and then we can resuscitate you with the proper system. Yeah, I, I, I think that that aligns to my experience as well. And, I, and unfortunately, um, in some cases, a literal cardiac arrest moment. Um, you know, I've got a particular client in mind who, uh, before he uh, accepted oh. that he needed to systemize his business and so on, he first had a heart attack. And actually, even that wasn't sufficient. It was only really when he then uh, started to see the impact that it was having on his relationships with his uh, partner and uh, his new child that it yeah. really started to land. And I think it's as, uh, the frustration, I think, often from, from our side, I, I think is almost that it has to lead to that. Like you have to have that kind of pain, or at least some people need to, because I think often that can be so damaging and, and upsetting. So I think it's, it's, it's hard. But I, I like your point that it beco it's become more of a disappointment when people are using it as a defense mechanism. I think partly because I see that, as you say, it's, it's not just that they don't get the result then, it's like they write off the approach. And I've seen that particularly with processes. And in fact, to dive into that, that's right. your book, uh, Clockwork, focuses on processes and getting the business no longer dependent on the owner. In your yeah. experience, what are the most common reasons that people struggle to, to get to that point, to implement the, the processes, the structure in their business? I think the biggest challenge is that we, the business owners, see ourselves as a free resource to the business. In the beginning, there's no question when you're trying to start the business, you do need to be the catalyst. You need to put in effort and all this stuff without compensation because there's no revenue coming in. But then that becomes the standard or the norm. So I know businesses that are doing hundreds of thousands or millions, and the business owner is still working effectively for free. And they say, this is necessary. I have to do this to keep the business afloat. Well, now the business has this artificial dependency. What I tell people, it's partly prop first and partly clockwork, is we need to institute a proper salary for you. So if you had to hire someone from the outside, what would you pay them to do all the work you're doing? That's the salary you need. Because now the business starts building this independency. It's paying for all the employees. And the day you say, I can't be here, or you're forced to because you do have a heart attack, now there's the funds there to replace you. So we have to get the business to that standard. The next thing is, or common resistance point is, if I don't work in the business, if I'm not there, my employees will think that I'm just sitting back on the beach drinking Mai Tais and stuff. My response to this is no, 
you're, you're empowering your employees. You're giving them an opportunity to grow into positions that you prior were occupying and they couldn't move into. So it's an opportunity for their growth. I also point out that the number one job of an entrepreneur, your job, Alexis, my job, is to be a creator of jobs. At the end of the day, roughly 3% of the population ever starts a business, maintains it successfully, and it's qualified to support the hiring of people and putting them in positions of having a good job. 3%. That means 97% of the population is looking for a good job with a good company. And so our job is to create jobs. The final little vignette I want to put here is I travel a lot. You know, We met up in the UK. And admittedly, I stop by McDonald's every so often because it's so convenient. But I started a habit. When I go there, I'll ask for the owner. And I've done this now 60 times, 70 times. I've yet to ever be at a McDonald's where the owner's working there. They're not flipping burgers. They're not making fries. They're not even managing the store. They've hired people. That McDonald's owner is likely scouting out new properties, working with the franchise because you know, they're a franchise organization, and, and planning out strategies to amplify the, the business. But if they were doing the work, that business couldn't grow. You have to remove yourself from the doing and really focus on the designing of the business. I, I, I love the fact that you actually asked for the owner inside McDonald's restaurant. Well. And the, the looks I yeah, get. I, I, like, I can um, imagine. Uh, so that's that's yeah. awesome. I, I, and next next time we meet up, I'm taking you to McDonald's. I need to watch this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do. It. You'll, you'll be blown yeah. away. You'll be blown and it'll away. It'll be my treat. Don't worry, Mike. I can I can swing McDonald's. A Big Mac on yeah. you. I love it. <laughs> uh, and, and and I love that. And I, and I, I see that same mentality as well one of the other ones that i see it's like i do want to do it and i will do it but not just now and normally it's because like i don't have time for this right now or it's because i can't afford to hire someone and delegate yeah. right now how do you respond yeah. to those challenges yeah i call it nonsense on both but i know what the core problem is many entrepreneurs do not know how to delegate we, we know how to micromanage we know how to assign tasks but most businesses become a representation of this, this figure called Kali. Kali was a Hindu goddess or is a Hindu goddess with one head and eight arms. We, and we've all yeah. seen that. And many businesses become this one mind, the business owner, controlling or task rabbiting all these people. Do that, do this, come back to me with the next question. And therefore, we don't do any work. We just make all the decisions. That's called micromanagement. Um, some businesses uh, owners go to abdication, just handle this. And then it'll never be to your standard because you haven't set a standard. Delegation is setting a standard of outcomes. Here's what we expect the outcome to be, but then empowering other people to navigate the way there. So um, ask them, you know, what steps are you going to take to ensure we get there? And we do have a best practice if it's follow that, but if it's not working, improve upon it. The, the part about hiring or, you know, I, I can't afford to bring someone on. I call nonsense on that every single time. And I think the first hire or the next hire, if you already have some employees that every business should have, if you don't have one currently, is a personal assistant. And uh, I'll go to audiences. I don't think I did when we were at the UK, but uh, I'll go to audiences and say, who here has a personal assistant? And maybe a few hands go up and I say, okay, just so we have a good survey here, who does not have a personal assistant? And that's when 80 or 90% of the hands go up. I say, keep your hands up because you are the personal assistant. Mm -hmm. You have to find someone to start doing some of the work. And you don't need to hire a full-time person. I think that's where we get stuck. Like, oh, I can't afford someone full-time. No, you can hire someone for three hours a month. If you want, you can find them through some online service or something like that. And the power of this is that we, as a business owner, start, we'll get some work off our plate. So they'll take a task or two. But the bigger thing is we'll start learning how proper delegation works. 
So I tell people, don't pick that most annoying task you do. Not, let's not start there. Let's pick off the easiest task that you do that's a no-brainer. Because when you transfer that over, it's going to be easy to teach because it's a no-brainer. But secondly, you have a compulsion to do it because it's a no-brainer. Delegation is removing yourself from the doing, and it's moving to outcome management. So when you take the easy task off your plate, you can no longer use that excuse, I'm busy, because you're doing something easy. Now you're actually delegating, and you're going to learn a lot with that. And over time, now you'll be removing yourself from being, as Michael Gerber says, working in the business and now working on the business. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think one of the other things I see is that people feel like, oh, well, I don't want to spend all my time implementing systems. I don't want to spend all my time right. doing the delegating and managing the people because right. I need to grow the business. Do you feel like there is like a right season to, to use a, a sort of vernacular from the pumpkin plan? Do you feel like there's a, a right season yeah. in business life to do the implementing season uh, systems and processes? Or is it something that should be ongoing? Like what's what would be your advice? I'm a fan of always doing it, but we can throttle it up and throttle it down. Sometimes when business slows down, there's not much demand. That is a prime opportunity to put more effort into the deployment systems. And when there's massive demand and we need all hands on deck, it's appropriate to do that. Um, but I think it's an ongoing process. What I tell people about systems is I don't care if you have anything documented or not. You do have every system for your company. It's just in your mind, right? We're, we're just doing it here. So we need to extract systems as opposed to create systems. And the extraction is simple. If you're already doing the process, just videotape yourself doing that process. Record it with a screen capture, do it on your phone, but record it. And as you do the process, talk about your thoughts as you go through it. Don't just do it, but say, here's what I'm thinking as I take this step. So maybe it takes you twice as long to do it because you're now expressing your thought process, but that is the system. Now you give that video to the person you're going to delegate this work to. And you say, the outcome we want to achieve is X. You know, we want to build timely and accurately. Here's our best practice for the invoicing. I invite you to use this process to get there. But if you have any impedances, any problems, your job is to navigate it. I've hired you for that thing on your shoulders, that brain of yours, so navigate around it. And then the ultimate form of delegation, this is absolutely mandatory, yet so few people do it. Once you assign out this video you've captured, someone else is doing it, make them teach it because ultimately the best student is always the teacher. And when they can demonstrate they can teach it, you know they know it. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that I know is that you haven't seen what we do at Air Manual of how we take that process that essentially you've described as taking the videos and turn it into interactive checklists that the team can find easy to like update and so on, which at some point I know that we've got a follow-up meeting, which I'll make sure you get the visibility of that because I think you'll love it. But I, I agree wholeheartedly on the key is it's a process of extraction. And often that's the thing yeah. that, that people struggle with is how will I find the time to get this out of my head? How will I collect it and so on? Yeah. But I think it's often it's as simple as just going, just start talking it out, like cap, but have it captured. Don't right. succumb to the temptation to go, I'll just tell someone live and hope they remember everything. And, and then I'll get really frustrated when they forget. And I'll think, well, I would have been quicker that I do it myself because I'm now having to spend 10 times yeah. as long training them, right? Which is- I agree. That becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that you can't do it but it's because you're not extracting it. You're simply purporting it. And when you do, when you do that, when you just talk, you're not only really not teaching, you, you're just espousing something and someone's trying to receive it, they'll maybe retain 20% of it. When it's captured, when the whole process is, is talked through, someone can revisit that over and over. And that's the learning process is repetition. Yeah, absolutely. And are there any examples that come to mind where you've hit some of those roadblocks? And what did you then discover was the missing element? 
Yeah, something that comes to mind immediately is speaking on profit first. So, you know, since I wrote the book, I speak about it. But I've also realized I can only do so much in a given period of time, and there's more demand than supply. That's a great problem to have. But I want to make sure that we're supporting all the opportunities to present. So I need other people speaking on it. Well, a lot of people try to just replicate Mike's speech, right? So I, I have people that are certified profit first professionals. They see me do the speech, which I've recorded. And then they try to replicate it. And then it's inauthentic. It's not their stories. It feels clunky. It's awkward. So the next level is like, oh, for this, there's a little bit of artistry. We need to embrace our own stories. So the system now is not the hour speech. It's about two hours of extrapolating your stories, your experiences, and how they relate to it. I talk about, for example, that piggy bank moment with my daughter. That's my moment. And for someone to share that story or say, you know, Mike had this moment where his daughter volunteers piggy tank, it's not as impactful as much as your own story. So what we do is we say, we draw out a life, we call it the lifeline, but what are the challenges you've had around finances? And let's hit that story because somehow, some way they have come across profit first, they're using it. And if they're using it or some benefits driving, it's probably resolving some past experience. So one person talked about how they, they grew up in a low income and they were subsidized by the government. Another person, it was funny, they said, we had no problems. They thought because the parents were always away working all the time. And when they looked back and reflected, they said that my parents were working all the time because they didn't have enough money unless they were working. And so they were never there for their kids. So the compromise was us as kids, we didn't have parents. And you hear that story and it, it, it tingles as they share it. So that was an interesting way to systematize it. I, I'd say now there's about 25 to 40 people, somewhere in that range, that are actively speaking on Profit First. I know there's a Profit First keynote actually going on this morning because I was talking to the person right now as we're talking, they're going on regularly uh, without me, which is what I want. That's awesome. And such a great example of something that would be otherwise regarded as practically impossible to delegate, right? One, one of the things that yeah. I see with some uh, business owners is that they worry about becoming the face of the company or, you know, using a personal yeah. brand too much for this exact reason, right? They worry that doesn't that tie the business to them. And I think you've demonstrated particularly recently how that doesn't need to be the case <laughs> and how powerful that yeah. can be. What would be your key takeaway for any business owners looking to, to scale their business and enjoy the journey? I would say it's it's not selfish to do that. In fact, it's necessary for our global society that you do it. I know a lot of people are afraid of profit because that means something negative about you. Or if my business operates without me, it means I'm not a contributor. The reality is hopefully you learned in this session, you are a great contributor if the business doesn't need you because you're giving jobs. You're a great contributor if you're driving profitability because that gets reinfused into our global economy. The world needs more healthy, profitable businesses. There's no question about it. So I just implore that starts with the person listening. It starts with you. Fantastic. Love it, Mike. Well, I highly recommend Mike's books. So I'll make sure there's links uh, to all of those in the, in the show notes and so on. Um, Mike, how else would you recommend that people find out more about your systems and more about what we've talked about? Sure. I, all of my content, all the books I write, I have free chapter downloads. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal for years. I have that available to those articles. You can go to Mike Motorbike, as in the motorcycle. And it, it, you can go to Mike Michalow. It's good luck spelling that. So MikeMotorbike.com is where all my content is. I also have a uh, archive of podcasts that I hosted too that you might enjoy mikemotorbike.com fantastic i'll include that in the show notes as well thank you so much for your time mike it's been absolutely fantastic to frankly meet and get to chat with one of my absolute heroes so i'm just 
glad that I've been able to to make it through this interview without embarrassing myself. <laughs> Thank you so much, well, Mike. It's been a joy spending time with you, Alexis. I look forward. We're going to connect again, so I'm looking forward to talking to you next week. I yeah, think indeed. Looking forward to it. For everyone else, if you're looking to systemize your business, delegate more effectively, and let go of even the most complex tasks, then I've got an approach for you that makes this super easy. You can use it to get any task handed over in less than one hour and done by someone else better and more consistently than you by next week. And it's scalable so that you can run it across the entire business. And when we typically apply this with business leaders, we find that they instantly free up more than 15 hours per week as a result. You can find out more and get access for free at airmanual.link forward slash discover. Now, one final thing before you go, if you found today's content valuable, and I'm sure you did, then please do share it on social media and tag Mike and me in. We'd really, really appreciate it. Otherwise, until next time, have fun.